Let us pray. Our Father, we ask in Jesus' name for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us afresh. That we might draw near to the cross. And be renewed in faith to follow Jesus all our days and into eternity. Amen. Beginning the reading at verse 26. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, to, he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. 
and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may recall that in the Bible, the number seven is the number of perfection. We see this, of course, first of all, in the fact that on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. And so with the six days of creation work plus the day of rest, God finished, that is, God perfected His work in seven days days. There was nothing lacking. There was nothing missing. There was nothing incomplete. There was nothing insufficient. And so we have a seven-day week. And in various ways throughout the Scripture, the number seven or multiples of seven appear to indicate fullness, completion, perfection. Why am I telling you this today? Because I want you to know that in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, Jesus is declared to be innocent, not guilty, not deserving of death, seven times. The Holy Spirit of God who breathed out this scripture wants you to know that Jesus was perfectly righteous. There was nothing missing, nothing incomplete, nothing lacking, nothing insufficient about his 
righteousness. Count them. One, verse four, Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Two, verse 14, Pilate said to the chief priests and the rulers and the people, after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Three, verse 15, Pilate continued, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Four, verse 15, Pilate continued, look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Five, Verses 20 to 22, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I find no guilt in him deserving death. Six, verses 39 through 41, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And 7, verse 47, after Jesus breathes his last, when the Roman centurion saw what had taken place, He praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Seven times in this chapter, Jesus is declared to be innocent. Now, of course, these were human judgments. Pilate and Herod were concerned about crimes against Rome, not sins against God. Nevertheless, their words bear witness to the truth. Jesus was an innocent man. And with their testimony, Pilate and Herod said far more than they realized. The repentant thief on the cross, very, very probably a Jew, likewise, knew somehow that Jesus had not been involved in any kind of insurrection or other criminal activity. And perhaps his expressed faith in Jesus as Lord of the kingdom to come also indicates that he believed that Jesus was the sinless, suffering Messiah prophesied in Isaiah 53. And the Roman centurion, well, he had seen many condemned criminals lashed by the Roman scourge and hanged on a cross. He had seen many common criminals die that horrible death. Maybe there was something about the way in which Jesus suffered the cross and breathed his last with humility, with equanimity, courage, gentleness, faith, and a forgiving spirit that convinced this Roman commander that Jesus was no common criminal indeed, not a criminal at all. 
But whatever Pilate, Herod, the repentant thief, and the Roman centurion actually meant by their words, Luke's point is perfectly clear. Jesus was perfectly righteous. And the point there is not only that Jesus did not deserve to die, but also that Jesus was the only man whose death could be offered up as a perfect, sinless, substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. He was the spotless Lamb of God. He was the righteous Adam. 1 Peter 2, 21 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now this takes us to the very heart of the gospel and Luke wants us to see it. Substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary sacrifice. The death of the righteous for the unrighteous. And we see it illustrated right before our very eyes in this passage. There was a custom that Pilate would release a Jewish prisoner each year during Passover week as a gesture of goodwill toward the Jews. Pilate wanted to release Jesus because Pilate knew that Jesus had a very big following and Pilate did not want to provoke a riot by crucifying Jesus. But the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the people that they had whipped up into a frenzy all cried out, Release to us Barabbas! They wanted the convicted criminal released. He was, in fact, a Jewish political revolutionary, guilty of insurrection against Rome, and a murderer. Barabbas. Bar-Abbas. Bar-Abbas. Son of the Father. That was his name. And so the innocent son of the father took the place of the guilty son of the father. That's a real-life illustration which portrays for us in a shocking way what Christ has done for us. Jesus was clearly innocent of the crimes for which Barabbas was guilty. But it was as though Jesus had become guilty of Barabbas' crimes and Jesus' innocence was attributed to Barabbas. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we do not know what became of Barabbas. We do not know whether his liberation from prison 
translated into salvation from sin through personal faith in his substitute. But this historical event does show us how God saves sinners through Christ crucified. It is the great exchange. The scripture says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Therefore, 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. Now, that's a somewhat awkward English sentence to my ears. But what it means is this. Although Jesus was perfectly sinless, God charged all our sins to His account, laid all our iniquities upon Him so that He, the sinless One, became the very human embodiment of sin. The the human embodiment of God became the human embodiment of sin. And this was not a cruel fiction. This was not a a travesty of divine justice. This was the divine plan decreed before the foundation of the world. In a covenant entered into by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternity past. That the Father would send the Son to bear the guilt of His elect. That the Son would willingly offer up Himself as the substitutionary sacrifice for His elect. That the Holy Spirit would effectually call all of God's elect to come to Jesus Christ in faith and unite them savingly to Jesus Christ so that all that is theirs, all that is ours, our sins, our shame, our guilt would become His. And He would bear our sins, our shame, our guilt, and suffer the due punishment thereof in our place. Justice. Divine justice according to the divine plan, was meted out on the cross of Jesus Christ. And it was real and it was righteous. And what that means is, if your sins have been laid on Jesus, and He has borne your sins in His body on the tree, then divine justice has been meted out upon your sins and has been fully satisfied. And if Jesus has paid the penalty for all your sins, then there is no more penalty 
for you to pay. But that's only the half of it. It's not only that your sin, shame, and guilt are laid on Him in your union with Him through faith, but also that His perfect righteousness, sinlessness, and innocence become yours in your union with Him through faith. That's the second half of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That's an astounding, it's a mind-boggling statement. So that in Him we might become the righteousness of God, which is to say that in Him, in union with Christ, we might become the human embodiment of the righteousness of God. Which is exactly what Jesus was and is. Which means that if you are in union with Christ through faith, you stand before God today as righteous as Jesus is because you have His righteousness as your own. And there is nothing lacking, nothing incomplete, nothing missing, nothing insufficient about His perfect righteousness. (laughs) This This is the gospel of amazing grace. This is the great exchange which took place on the cross in history, but which is continually, effectually brought into reality throughout history by the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of sinners who come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. This is how God saves sinners through Christ crucified. The Holy Spirit brings Jesus to us and brings us to Jesus so that our sin is imputed to Him and His righteousness imputed to us. And oh, by the way, we begin to see this play itself out even in this passage before us. It's amazing how we see, even in this passage, the Holy Spirit beginning to call men to Jesus Christ. For example, they compelled Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross. The passage says nothing more, and we shouldn't read more into it except for the fact that Mark tells us that this Simon of Cyrene had two sons, Alexander and Rufus, and except for the fact that the Apostle Paul mentions Rufus, as a member of the church in Rome. It's therefore reasonable to infer that Simon of Cyrene really did take up his cross and follow Jesus and raised his sons as believers in Christ. And the thief on the cross, the repentant thief on the cross, one and not the other, 
Simon of Cyrene, a common Jew, probably in, in, in Jerusalem for the Passover, a criminal Jew dying on the cross and expressing faith in Christ, a Roman centurion. Well, there again, perhaps we, we ought not to read too much into it, but I think that Luke is giving us a hint and a very strong hint, you see, that even then the gospel of Jesus Christ was going out to the Gentiles, foreshadowing, foreshadowing the Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And then there was Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Jewish council. He was one of the leaders of the people. He was of the Sanhedrin. But he came to Pilate to take the body of Jesus and care for it. And John tells us that another member of the Sanhedrin, another leader of the Jews, remember Nicodemus? And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus appears at the end of the Gospel of John with Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus said, and when I am lifted up, I will, call, I will draw all men to myself, meaning men and women of every Christ every category of life, every tribe and tongue and nation, we see it beginning to happen right here on the day Christ died. Because he died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And he did that perfectly. Nothing lacking, nothing missing, nothing incomplete, nothing insufficient about His righteousness for our salvation. It is finished. It is perfect. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the glorious gospel of Your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that we, by Your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, would take up our cross and follow Him all the days of our life into eternity. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us stand and affirm the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and the world as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead and ascended into hell.
and is seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life.